Well, welcome to Awakening Church. If it's your first time here, we're glad to have you. Uh, my name is Tony Cruz. I'm one of the leaders here at Awakening Church, and so uh, I'm just kind of excited to be up here sharing with you guys. And if you, you know, if this is your first time or you haven't been here for a while, uh, I would really, really encourage you to go back. Uh, this summer, we're going through a study in the book of Colossians. So as a leadership, we got together and said, hey, it'd be really awesome to go through a book and teach it as a series in church. And so we said, okay, let's, let's do Colossians. And so the uh, last week we just finished up the first part of this study through the book of Colossians, and it was called The Return to Wonder. And if you haven't had a chance to just listen to the whole series, I would encourage you to do it, because it is one of the most powerful, transforming series we've had. Uh, Ryan and Jay will say a lot of the times, like, they wrote this for themselves, and they've been transformed a lot as a result of them personally, but as a person who was listening to the entire series, uh, I can just tell you that it's been so transforming for myself even. And one of the cool things that it's done is it's helped me remember where I came from, right? Like, a return to wonder. It's helped me remember my beginnings as a believer in Jesus, because I wasn't always a Christian. I didn't grow up a Christian. I actually grew up uh, I don't know what you would call it. I went to Catholic church for like five years, and the thing I looked forward to each Sunday was the donuts and orange juice afterwards. You'd walk across the street, you know, you'd take mass, you'd say whatever, and then you'd go across the street and get some donuts and orange juice. That's all I remember about that. Um, I was actually first introduced to Jesus while I was in high school, junior in high school. And um, I went to church because a girl asked me to go to church. And if you're a guy in high school, you know that whenever a girl asks you to do something, you do it. Right? You're like, especially if she's cute, you're just like, hey, come to church? Yes, church, I'm there. <laughs> Change my tires? Yes. <laughs> Take pictures of my boyfriend and me? Yes, no. <laughs> yes, because you're cute. And um, I remember going in and listening to, I remember his name, Roger Blumenthal. You know, he would go and he'd teach about Jesus. And I would listen, and I was really intrigued by, like, who's this Jesus guy? Why is everybody coming together? Why do they, like, meet during the middle of the week in groups? That's kind of weird. Um, why do they do all these weird things? So I wanted to be a part of it, so I just started going and listening and hearing about this guy named Jesus, and I thought, man, this is really interesting. Like, I would really love to learn more about Jesus. And so I did what any other curious man would do, and that was to steal my Bible. You know, they had like a cabinet, and in it were lost Bibles, people, <laughs> Bibles that people had lost. And I was like, what a perfect place to take a Bible from the place where they lose Bibles and they store them. So I took the first Bible I owned, and uh, God forgive me for that, you know. And I remember just reading it and just talking to people about what I was learning, and, and I just became really enchanted by Jesus, right? I started to talk to people about Jesus. I started to ask people, like, okay, what do you, what do, you do when you're a Christian? Like, oh, go tell people about Jesus. So the first thing I did was, like, my whole family, my goal was to convert them before I went to, high, to college. So the whole senior year of high school, I was like, every day, Jesus, the Bible, believe, repent, um, everything. And so, uh, you know, I got Bibles for everyone so they didn't have to steal their own Bibles. <laughs> I got my, my mom, the, you know, you go... So this is, for, for those of you who are Christian, like going to a bookstore and like looking at all the Bibles they have is really interesting. She's like, okay, I'm looking for a, a, a Bible for my mom. And you're like, oh, they've got like the pink one with the leather and the cover, the flowers. That's a mom Bible. I'm going to get my mom that Bible. And then you're like, I found a Bible with a man on a mountain, you know, like 
really manly, and that's like for my dad. It's my dad's Bible. I got really, the same Bible as I had stolen, I got for my brothers, for two of my brothers, because it was like just a normal Bible. And then for my youngest brother, I got a comic book Bible, because he was like in elementary school, and that's totally relevant, right? You're like, a comic, I want you to read about Jesus. And I remember thinking, okay, I've done it. I've done what I have to do. Uh, I'm going to college. My whole family has Bibles. Uh, They're they're getting along. They're they're hanging out together. This is awesome. I have a Christian girlfriend who says she's going to marry me. I'm going to call. This God thing is, Christianity is rocks. Like, you get a a girlfriend who's going to marry you. Your your family gets along. This thing is easy. Piece of cake. And a few months, (laughs) yeah, right? And a few months after I started college, my girlfriend at the time said, hey, you you should call your mom. I was like, that's really cryptic. Okay. So I called my mom. Hey, mom, what's going on? How are you? Uh, what? Where are you? And apparently, without telling me, my parents had separated. My mom had just left my, pa- my, my family and had moved to California with my youngest brother and left my two other brothers with my dad. And they didn't tell me because they said, well, you're in college. We don't want to distract you. And I was like, what? Like, what is, what? that doesn't make any, I gave you Bibles, you know, like, I did all the right things. Um, and then a few months after that, my girlfriend was like, yeah, listen, I don't want to marry you. Thanks. <laughs> and so it rocked my world because this was a Christian woman. I thought, she told me, I'm going to marry you, and I believed her. Um, and that's not to say anything about Christian women, but I was just like, oh, I'm so excited. And, and I was like, okay, this doesn't make any sense, Jesus. I, I did everything you told me to. My, my family is being disrupted. My personal life is being broken. And then I remember walking out of the gym one day, and it was just 2001, and just seeing on the TV, right, like the, the planes hitting buildings, and I'm like, what, what is going on in the world right now? Like, what, why, is, why is this world that I thought was perfect, why is it suddenly crumbling around me? Like, why, why are my parents not together, and, and why did my girlfriend leave me, and why is the world fighting against each other and killing each other? This doesn't make any sense. Jesus, you don't make any sense. I thought that this was supposed to be perfect. What's going on? And I realized in those moments, and I realize now even more than ever that, you know, in life we have these, <laughs> these moments when the storms just come and they just shake us, right, at our core. And, and when these things happen to us, we begin to doubt and begin to wrestle with the truth that we once believed in. Uh, whether Jesus says who he says he is and what, what, if he's done the work in me that he's done and if he's going to actually change the world like he says— and I realize that the reason that happens is because we are heavenly citizens living in an earthly reality, right? We, we talk a lot about that. And even as sojourners, even as people who are transient, as we're moving through life, we are actually called by our God and our King to redeem and recreate aspects of humanity. We're actually called to do that. And as we're doing that, we're having to endure these weakened attacks by a defeated king who we call Satan, right? So there's all these things happening around us, and so when life comes and shakes us up, we, we start to get scared and frightened, maybe. We start to get discouraged because we feel all this weight on our shoulders, and, and we think that if we, there's anything else happens to us, if, if there's one more thing that happens, we'll break, and everything that we thought was true wasn't. And the reality, though, is, is that in Christ, we, we don't ever break. We just, we just bend a lot sometimes. And to move past that thinking that we're going to break, we have to really dig into foundations 
right? We have to have anchors in the storm that we know we can always go back to knowing that they'll, they'll remind us that we're not going to break. We're just going to bend, and God, and God is going to be there, but we're going to bend a lot. And so for the next three weeks, I want to journey with you. We want to journey together through the book of Colossians chapter 2 and talk a lot about the foundations that Paul talks about as he writes to the Colossian church in the first century so that as these things happen in our life, as we're moving through life and we're thinking that everything is okay and then the world just weighs heavy on our shoulders, we remember that we're just bending, but we're not breaking. And to do that, um, as we go through Colossians, so I want to talk really briefly about the Colossian heresy, the false teaching that was pervasive in the first century that Paul was speaking into, because it, it helps to inform a lot of what he writes in the second chapter of Colossians. So Paul is speaking into an early movement, right? It, it's the beginning of a new movement that was popping up at around the same time as Christianity was. And you read about it in, in verses like chapter 2 verse 5 and 8 and 18 and 23 in the second chapter. And this movement included aspects of Judaism and Greek philosophy and, and just thought. And so it was really appealing to people at that time. And it became, eventually, it would become what we call today something called Gnosticism. And Gnostic thought, even, even at its core, at the very beginning, had two principles that were really, really going to endanger early Christian thought. And the first one, and I think Ryan and Jay have talked about this, is that the material world, the world that we see and that we're a part of, is evil. And it should be shunned. That it's actually a prison to us. And we have to escape it into a, a spiritual, a realm of spirituality. So that nothing that we see here is good, it's all bad right? And that we need something to keep us out of it, to take us out of it. And that led to the second principle, which is that we needed some sort of savior, right? Jesus was around, and we're not going to deny Jesus, but we needed something else. And for the Gnostic, it was wisdom. We needed wisdom to get us from this place that's earthly and material and evil and take us to salvation. And so the Gnostics began to preach their good news, and their good news was essentially Jesus plus wisdom was everything. Right? Jesus plus wisdom was everything. And, and the reason that was so dangerous to, to Christian thought, to early Christian thought, was that it meant two things. A, it meant that we could not redeem anything in this world. That the world that we lived in was actually irredeemable. Because it was evil, because it was bad, we shouldn't waste our time trying to make it better. And the most dangerous aspect of that thinking was that if wisdom was needed to, to be saved, then why, what, why do we need Jesus? What's the point of Jesus? And the really, the just really subtle thing about it was that they didn't deny Jesus. They didn't say, oh, Jesus isn't necessary. They just dethroned him. They just said, oh, you can, you can have Jesus, but you have to add to Jesus wisdom, and then you have salvation. And so the reality, the reason why I think it's so important to flesh out and to just create a context is, I think the reality is, is that sometimes we struggle with that too today, right? We struggle with this idea that the world that we live in is just a bad place and we shouldn't spend too much time trying to think about ways to redeem it. But most dangerously, I think we sometimes add that same nuanced thought to our lives, that Jesus plus blank he goes everything. That our gospel, what saves us and what moves us forward is actually Jesus plus something, anything, equals everything. 
And, and if you just think about it, you can see how dangerous that is, right? Because you begin to think about ways that add to what Jesus has already done, what Jesus is doing, and what Jesus will do. You think about ways to add stuff. You think about l- lowering the, just the reality of who Christ is, and that was incredibly dangerous, And so today what I want to talk about is introduce the biblical truth that Paul speaks into that. And in your notes, I think it says, like, the the first point is something like you walk in Jesus and you have what you need. And I want you just to scratch that out. So if you have notes and you have a pen you're writing, just scratch that out because I I just wanted to change this. And and I'll tell you what to fill in as I unpack where we're going to go. And so if you have your Bibles with you, just turn to Colossians chapter 2, verse 6 and 7. And we'll read from there. Colossians 2, verses 6 and 7. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. And we find our first foundation in this passage. In that section, there's two verses. And it's this. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And I know I said, like, it's, it's not going to be up there. So Jesus plus nothing equals everything. This is the gospel that Paul had preached. This is the gospel that the church at Colossae had received. And what Paul is saying is, hey, listen. You're hearing things about Jesus that aren't true. You're hearing that he isn't enough. But remember, and like I said, this is why it's so crucial. I'm going to encourage you again. Go back to our podcast and listen to the series, A Return to Wonder. It's so crucial to remember who Jesus says he is. And if you go back and you read Colossians 1, it's just the, the whole story about who this Lord is. Who is this Lord? He's the Lord that is the image of the invisible God. Everything that was created was created through him and was created for him. He holds everything together. He makes you homeless. Or not homeless. He doesn't make you homeless. <laughs> Gives you a home. He makes you holy and blameless. So my brain is just thinking too fast. He makes you holy and blameless. He's reconciled you. He's taken you from a kingdom of darkness and put you into a kingdom of light. This is the Lord. This is God who can do all of these things. And you have received him in Jesus. You have believed everything that we've said about Jesus, who he is, and what he's going to do, and what he says about himself. You don't need anything else. You don't need anything else. That is the gospel. That's what Paul is saying. You don't need this. But what you do need to do is to continue to move forward in life the way that you started in faith. And that is to just constantly believe that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And when we do this, we begin to embrace the foundational principle that I want to teach on tonight. If Jesus plus nothing equals everything, when Jesus calls us and saves us into mission, where we participate in what God is doing in the world, then we can actually shape the future. And that's the foundational principle. We can shape the future. If Jesus plus nothing equals everything, we can shape the future. When we fully embrace who God is, 
and what he's done in us, then we will begin to be amazed at what he will do in us continually and through us as we move forward in faith. And what I can tell you just from experience is that the world is waiting for a people to do that. You know, a few years ago, I, I used to work for Starbucks as a manager. And there's a time when Hurricane Katrina hit and it hit like New Orleans and it just leveled that entire part of the country. And what Starbucks did was they said, hey, we need to go help. So we're going to fly every manager. Yes, I'm a manager. We're going to fly every manager there. We're going to, a whole week, we're going to spend in New Orleans. And you're going to help fix things. You're going to just be there for the people. And you're going to just have fun. People had, some people had way too much fun because it's New Orleans. And they got sent back home. <laughs> but for the most part, that's what Starbucks wanted to do. And I remember going, and this was like my first trip with an organization that wasn't Christian that was doing stuff like this. And I was like, okay, what's going on? This is really cool. I've been a Christian for five years, and I was like, okay, let's, let's see what happens. I want to do this. And I remember seeing people who were struggling to see whether or not what they were doing was making a difference, right? Because when you see houses that are like three stories tall, and there's damage all the way up to the second story, and things are just torn up, and, and lawns are gone, and things just don't look livable, you begin to wonder, like, am I, am I going to be able to do anything? Like, can I actually make a difference? And I remember one day, as, as we were just all wrestling, it was like the middle of the week, it's hot, and it's in New Orleans, and people are partying way too much, so they're like hanged over, and they're just, oh, this sucks. I remember when Howard Schultz came, like, to the place that we were working, and people freaked out. Howard Schultz is here! I need to get his autograph! Because he was a president, he was the founder of CEO of Starbucks. It was because of him that we were out there. He had flown us out there, he had given us hotels, he was giving us resources. And the people that were working to make a difference were really excited about it, right? Like they, and there was his boss, right? He signs all our checks. Well, probably stamps, I don't know what they do. But he signed all our checks, so he fed my family. So I was kind of like, I should go say thank you, at least. And I remember how excited people got. And then as people got excited, I saw how excited the community was getting. Because the people started thinking, I can make a difference. And the community was thinking, wow, we can help them make a difference. And it was in that moment that I realized, we, guys, we live in a world waiting, waiting and longing for a community that can actually pronounce hope into their lives. Right? We are, we are wait, people are waiting to be a part of a movement that can they can just speak hope into, into life, fill people with faith and love. They're waiting to do that. And there are people who are waiting to be redeemed and recreated and restored to God. And I've seen it happen. But what was missing was it was nothing equals everything for them, right? There was no Jesus. There was no gospel. And, and I just want to say, like, we are positioned to make such a difference in the world, if we would just fully embrace that Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and because of that, that we could make a difference in his name, and that, that we're, just, we're just waiting for something. And I'm thinking, like, what are, what are we waiting for? If the world is waiting for redemption at every level and is primed for conversations about spirituality and eternity and salvation, not just presently in the future, but, but also just to live a life that is filled with hope, faith, and love, then w what are we waiting for? What are, what are we going to wait for to believe and act that we can actually awaken this generation to a new life? And as I read Colossians 2, I realized that even just those two verses, six and seven, there are at least three things that discourages us from building on the foundation 
that Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and so we can shape the future. And so I want to just walk us through these three things and hopefully speak into them so that we can fully embrace the reality of our lives. And the first thing is a sense of arrival. When we believe that we have arrived, we unknowingly strip ourselves of the longing to dream about what could be. Right? How many of you guys have ever planned a vacation before? You had like a destination you wanted to go Right? No, just like five people have been on vacation. Whoa! Firstly, go on vacation. Take a break. You don't need to be working that hard. But secondly, if you've ever done a vacation, at least this is how I do, right? I get really excited about getting to the place. Uh, the last place we went was like Hawaii two years ago when my daughter's like seven months. And we're like, okay, it's been a long, it's been long. Like, let's just go on vacation. Let's go to Hawaii. We're going to map out everything. We're going to plan all these things out. Oh, can you imagine what we can do? We can hike volcanoes, but not get too close because I have a daughter who's running, and so she, I don't want her to burn up. We can swim in the ocean, but not too close because I'm afraid of the ocean and sharks will eat me. It's a valid fear. It's real. It happens. We can eat lots of good food, but not fish because I hate fish. So maybe, I don't, is there anything else on Hawaii to eat? I don't know. So I got really excited, and I was like, pumped to go. So when we flew there, I was like, what's the big deal? Like, I got there, and I'm like, wait a minute. This isn't as exciting as I thought. I'm here. But I remember, I hate the ocean. I hate seafood, and volcanoes are freaky, especially at night when they're blowing up in front of you, and the earth is like being created, and you're like, why am I here? This is dangerous. It's like the moment of creation. There's nothing safe about this moment. (laughs) Nothing safe. Uh, But when I got that sense of like arrival, like I'm here, and not a big deal, I just stopped dreaming about what I could do on a why. Like, well, hey, whatever. And I think that's such a discouraging feeling because... A lot of times that's what happens when we believe, right? We think that belief is it. That's our destination. And so we stop dreaming about what we could do and what we could be in Jesus. And Paul actually speaks into it. In verse 6, he says, So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him. Keep going. You see, we, we sometimes believe that just believing is the end of the story. That once we believe, that's it. We're done. When the exact opposite is true. Right? Believing is the beginning of the story. Believing is where you begin to participate in what God is doing in the world through his gospel for humanity and in humanity. That's where it starts. But we sometimes just get the sense of like, well, I'm here, that's it, I don't have anything else to do, and it's so not true. And, and Paul does that really cool thing. He builds on received with continue. Because what he's saying is, hey, listen, remember back when we talked about Jesus with you, and I talked to you about he's the God of all creation, and he'll save you from your sins. He offers you forgiveness for your sins, and he can redeem you and recreate you, and then use you to change the world around you. He can do all these things for you and with you. Remember that. You believed in that. That's why you're Christians. That's why you're believers. And Paul's saying, continue to do that. You have to keep believing that that is true, to live in him. You, you don't stop. The arrival isn't the destination point. It's only the beginning. And Paul is saying, you have to keep going. You haven't arrived. You're not here yet. This isn't all that there is to life. You have to keep dreaming about what God can do in humanity, in your neighbor, in yourself. 
Right? You have to keep believing that even when you struggle and you fall, that Christ can redeem you. You believed all those things. That's why you received him as Lord. So you must continue in that way. And I just think that sometimes the reality of accepting and continuing to walk reminds us that like, we're not perfect, so we need to keep going back. Right? If I have to receive and continue to live in his grace, it's because I keep failing. But the beauty of the position that that puts you in is that you get to go back to a king who's more than gracious. He will never not offer you grace. He will never not offer you hope when you need it. That's the kind of king that we serve and love and live for. And so that's the beauty of the reality. You have to keep going back. You have to continue in him, keep moving forward. And so I just want to remind you, we haven't arrived. So don't be discouraged if you feel like there's a sense of like, is this it? It's not it. This isn't all there is to it. You have to continue. You have to keep going. Keep dreaming. Because that's what God is calling us to do. But it actually points us to a second discouragement that we face. And that's a sense of inability. At the heart of discouragement is this belief in our inability to construct a future. Right? It's a lie. It is a vicious lie that just spreads into our soul and stops us from accomplishing what God has called us to accomplish. And, and like I said, if we think that we're going to fail, the natural question is to ask, well, why keep going? I mean, that's what I struggle with. If I'm going to keep going, if I'm going to keep doing this, and I'm going to keep failing at this, at, at sharing the good news of Jesus who offers forgiveness of sins and do the good works to help redeem and recreate humanity— and this world, why should I keep going? And I think what, what Jesus teaches us when, he's, when he, we believe that Jesus plus nothing equals everything is that there's more to life than that. There's actually hope to that because that lie is so pervasive, right? I've seen it in people where, where they believe, I can't do that. You know, they see other people doing great things and they say, I, I can't do that. I'm not good enough to do that. I can't do that. And then it turns into, well, I, I can't do anything good. And then from there, it moves to, I can't do anything. And from there, it moves to, I have no purpose. And then finally to, I have no worth. So what's the point? And it's just such a, such a like, discouraging thing, right? Even talking about it is depressing. But it's this lie that we have to address the sense of inability. And unless it's conquered with hope, it will continue to infect our life. Let me show you an example of that. Um, I want to introduce you to a guy named Jacob Barnett. This is a picture of him, and he's eight months old, about the same age as Asher, who's my son. Um, and if you have kids, or you've been around kids, or if you were once an eight-month-old child and you've just forgotten <laughs> to learn how to fly, um, you see the world that they're beginning to absorb. You see that they're, that they're walking, taking steps, and they're fumbling to their face, but they're not sad anymore because they realize, I just need to walk more. And you see them start to touch things and, and think about things. Asher is learning how to wave right now. He's eight. He's like, I can say hi to people. What's up? As an eight-month-old. And there's a sense of, like, possibility. My boy is able to do anything. But... I can't imagine how disheartening it is to hear someone tell you about your child. Your child won't do anything. Your child won't amount to anything. 
I can't even believe that. But that's what happened to Christine, who's Jacob's mother. At two years of age, Jacob was diagnosed with severe to moderate autism and Asperger's, or Asperger's. And essentially, doctors said, hey, Christine, uh, your son won't be able to read. Your son won't be able to walk. In fact, you should resolve yourself to the reality that your son will probably never learn how to tie a shoe. Sorry. And she heard that. She was distraught. And they just kept going, right? School said, oh, your child has severe autism and Asperger's? Listen, we're not going to teach him the alphabet if he can't even read or write or talk. Sorry. We're not going to do that here. And what happened was, Christine had begun to believe this lie about her son and had lost all dreaming about what he could do or might be able to do. And that's the lie that spreads. And so Paul actually speaks into that and he says, if that's the hope or that's the lie that is infectious, I have a hope that will fill you with endless possibilities of what you can do in Christ's name. In verse 7, Paul says, you know, so then just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught. And the words that Paul uses, rooted, built up, and strengthened, are all Greek words that convey the concept of potentiality, potential. They were deliberate words, right? The, the roots that are, are sunk in deeply and, and just soaking up the water of life that is Jesus, you are being built up by the creator of the universe who holds all things together. He is building you up. He's the one that's doing it for you. Not you, him. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. He's rooted you. He's building you up. And as you move in life, in faith, as you act in faith, as you participate in the world around you in faith, he will actually strengthen you so that you can bear much more than you can bear now. He's doing that in you and through you and for you right now. Sitting here, that's happening to you right now in Jesus. That is a reality that you have, right? And what happens, and it's just a beautiful picture to, for me at least, is as, if this is all true, which is, then you have potential momentum. It's like perpetual kinetic energy, right? Momentum. You have potential that's waiting, just waiting to be actualized. Poised, you have everything you need. Jesus. It's waiting to be actualized. When you actualize it, it actually creates more momentum that creates more potential, and it just turns into this, this amazing cycle of, I don't know what to call it, potential, <laughs> right? And, and the beautiful part of that is everything that God is calling us to is possible because Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and we have Jesus, and he's calling us to that, to redeem aspects of humanity by, by communicating the gospel of the good news of Jesus, the forgiveness of sins, by participating in good works, in good works, building and recreating humanity to, to bring a heavenly reality on earth, even as we wait for Jesus to come back and redeem everything. We get to do that because he is with us. And whenever we have that sense of inability, yes, it's true that maybe you're limited, but not in Jesus. It's not Jesus plus if I try my hardest equals everything. It's not Jesus plus if I can just eliminate this one sin from my life equals everything. It's not Jesus plus if I can just do this thing 
equals everything. It's Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And if we can just grasp that and embrace that, then what God is able to do through us is just limitless. It should just blow your mind, the potential of what you can do in your life and with your family. And that's the hope. That's a hope that spreads and it's real. And, and I just want to continue the story I started earlier with the Barnetts. So Jacob Barnett, um, you know, two years old, diagnosed with autism, um, he didn't learn how to talk until he was three. But when he did, he spoke in three languages. Right? What? What? You couldn't even talk, and now you're talking in three languages. And when Christine, his mother, figured out what he could do, her whole mind, her whole worldview of him changed. She says, my view changed. I realized that his mind is remarkable. He understood complex concepts, and my outlook for his future was forever changed. Right? When you begin to believe in what you are capable of doing in Jesus, the future that you have in view for yourself should change. Right? When he was three years old, Jacob Barnett, was, his mother was told that he would never be able to talk. Now he teaches quantum physics and is in line for the Nobel Prize. He's only 14 years old. He's writing and postulizing a theory of relativity that, according to scientists, will continue the work that Einstein started. It helps when your IQ is higher than Einstein's. Right. And I just love this. Einstein, maybe prophetically, who knows, says, Einstein said once, once we accept our limits, we go beyond them. And I just, I just hope that you recognize the grace of God through Jesus in your life. Because I get excited when I hear stories like that because it points to the reality that we have in Jesus. It is by his grace that we're able to do anything. It is by his grace that we participate in the work that he is already doing. It is by his grace that we can actually bring hope into the world because we are not unable. In Christ, we are able. In Jesus, we can make a difference. It doesn't need to be quantum physics. For that to be true, it can be just your family. It can be even just you continuing in faith. But the reality that I want you to embrace is that the only thing stopping us from fulfilling the potential that God has created in us in Jesus is unbelief in us. You know, unbelief in us. If Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and he's calling us to participate in uh, redemptive activity on earth, then we are able because Jesus is able. We are able because he's doing the work through us. And sometimes I just feel like that, that can be hard. You, you feel like a lot of pressure sometimes when you think about that. And I think that happens because we have a sense of discouragement sometimes, or sorry, a sense of isolation, Right? Nothing quickens hopelessness than the belief that you are alone. This belief that you're by yourself. Earlier I started this, you know, talk by just sharing about the first like real shake I had in my foundation of faith. 
which is my parents just splitting up and breaking into pieces. My, my relationship with a girl I thought I loved just shattering, and then the world seemingly falling apart around me. And inevitably, that just led me into a depression. I actually spent two weeks underneath my bunk bed in my dorm room wondering why I was alive, which is really, really creepy for your dorm mate, right? <laughs> it's like I become a, a hobbit underneath the bed. And I don't take showers. I didn't eat. I don't, you know, that's a big deal for me, if you know me. I didn't eat. Um, I was just depressed because I thought I was completely alone. Who could I call? My parents? I couldn't call my parents. The one person I thought I could trust, I, I didn't feel like I could trust. So, so who, could I, who could I call on? Who could I lean on? And it was one of the darkest moments of like my life because it, I knew Jesus and I thought that suddenly he was gone. And so I, I didn't know what else to do, right? I was just like, okay, I, I'm just, I have no idea what to do, so I'm just going to start at the beginning of this book that you say reveals everything about you and just begin reading. And this is, this is the Bible I actually had with me under there. And so I just started reading from the beginning. I read through Genesis. I read through, I read through everything trying to figure out, is there something that I'm missing? Is it Jesus plus something that I'm not getting that makes me feel like this? I read through Leviticus and Numbers, right? That's how depressed I was. <laughs> There's an answer in there somewhere. <laughs> I read through 1 Samuel. I read through Kings. I read through all these books. And I finally got to a place called Job. And if you, if you know anything about Job, you know that he lost everything he owned and was still able to confess a trust in God. And I was reading, and I was like, what, who is this man, and, and who is this God that he's talking about? And I got to this verse, Job 1.20. At this, Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in worship and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord takes away. But may the name of the Lord be praised. And I realized in that moment, I realized that Jesus was still there with me. I realized that he had actually not left. I realized reading through the opening books of the Bible that God has actually never left humanity. He's always been there helping along the way graciously. In Jesus, God even walked among humanity to be with us. And in Jesus now, he's in us, the hope of glory, and we walk in him. It was just amazing to me, that truth that I am not alone. And it's sometimes very easy in Scripture to overlook some really nuanced things that they say about the value and the need and the presence of community. We don't read it in English because English is just a weird language, but it's there in Greek. Here in that whole section, he says, so then, just as you received Christ as Lord, you continue to live in him, rooted and built up, strengthened in your faith. What we don't see is that in the Greek, in each of those verbs, received, continue, rooted, built up, strengthened, in every single one of those verbs is embedded the actual subject of that sentence, the person who Paul is talking to. 
And it's not you personally, though it does speak to us. It's not a singular you. It's actually a plural. You all. In Texas, y'all. Right? They get it in Texas. But that's a reality that we overlook so often. You are not alone. It was you, the community at Colossae. You here, the community at Awakening. You are not alone. If you have a sense of isolation or loneliness or abandonment, you are not alone. Just as you have received Christ as Lord, you all continue to live in him in community. That is why this is so important. Just look around at each other right now. You guys are a part of a community that is created by Christ to live and to love one another. You are not alone. So that's just a beautiful truth. And there's such an understated beauty in the way that God talks about community and each other. Because it's so real and so vivid and we sometimes just forget it because we just come here, we hang out, and we think that's it. No. You're supposed to be here, all of you, in the community. You're supposed to exist like this in faith. You need each other to keep going. It's such a beautiful reality. And so Colossians 2, 6-7 becomes a reminder and an invitation that you have everything you need in Jesus. That Jesus plus nothing equals everything. You have what you need. His name is Jesus. So you can continue. You are able and you are not alone. And if that is true, if we begin to embrace what God has done in us through Jesus and hold firm to that as we move forward, we can begin to shape the world with God for the glory of God, for good. We can help change this, all of this, because Jesus is able, because we have Jesus, and we have nothing else. We need nothing else. So as just the band makes her way up here, I just want to remind you and then invite you. You don't need anything apart from Jesus. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him and strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. You will have no, you, you won't imagine the thankfulness you have as you live in the grace of God through Jesus and that truth. So if that is true, go and create the future. Go and change the world by sharing the good news of forgiveness of sins of Jesus and doing the good works that he's called us to do because you have not arrived, you are able, and we are not alone. Let's pray. Father God, our prayers to you even point to the reality that your presence is here with us. We sing, Father, 
that we would hope to become more aware of your presence, Lord. And I just pray that that would be a reality for us. And Father God, I just forgive us, Lord, for believing that we need to add to the work you've done in Jesus. I pray that each and every single one of us would begin to embrace fully the truth that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And so we can accomplish the mission that you've set before us, which is to change and write the future. Thank you so much for that truth. And I just pray as we worship you in song that we would begin even tonight in this moment to take the steps that we need to fully embrace that reality in our life. Thank you so much. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.